0: This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined, as always, by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. Hello, Bro.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: And this we- Oh, that sounded so somber.
1: Oh, <laughs> sorry. Let me do that again.
0: Hello, everyone. There we go. That's better. In this week's episode, we're going to share a full live interview by Bro and Megan Brinsfield. They talked with Tiffany Alice, better known as The Budgetista. All that and actually nothing more, because it's a great interview on its own on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, bro, we're actually going to do something a little different this week because you had a great interview on Fool Live, and we thought we would just share it here with our listeners on Motley Fool Answers.
1: Right. And just so people understand what Fool Live is, it's basically, it's like a group Zoom call that goes on every day for people who are members of some of our premium services. So, Um, Tiffany was kind enough to come on, and we did an interview with her, and we thought it was such good information. We thought, let's just share it with the Motley Fool Answers audience.
0: Let's, actually. What a great idea. But before we get started, I have yet another favor to ask. This one's super easy. You maybe noticed that you haven't heard about Rocket Mortgage or Harry's Razors or the Molecule Air Filter lately. Well, that's because The Motley Fool is focused on helping everyone, from our members to our readers to listeners like you, invest better. And so we're taking a break from those external ads to instead promote ways The Motley Fool can help you invest better. So to do that, we'd like to know just a little bit about who you are and how we can help. So if you can go to mot.ly survey, that's M-O-T dot L-Y forward slash S-U-R-V-E-Y, we have a two question survey that will take less than a minute. Again, that's mot.ly forward slash survey. And the URL will also be included in the description of this week's episode. Thanks so much.
1: So, bro, take it away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, him again?
1: Hello, fools. I'm Robert Brokamp, advisor for the Retirement Service, co advisor of Total Income, co host of the Answers Podcast. And I'm joined today by Megan Brinsfield director of financial planning for Motley Fool Wealth Management and we we are super excited to welcome a special guest today. Tiffany Alice, otherwise known as the Budget Nista and an amazing success story. She has gone from being unemployed with tens of thousands of dollars in debt to founding and running her own company with annual income in the eight figures and playing a key role in getting legislation related to financial literacy passed in her home state of New Jersey. Tiffany, welcome to Motley Fool Live. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you, Robert.
2: Thank you, Megan.
1: So, now before we get to the interview, we have to make the lawyers happy and ask Megan to read a really boring legal disclaimer. So, take it away, Megan.
3: With that, with that tee up, I'll take it away. Um, so Fool Wealth uh, is who I work for, and it's an affiliate of the Motley Fool LLC and is a separate legal entity. And all of our asset management decisions and financial planning advice are made independently by myself and others at Fool Wealth. Uh, neither Tom or David Gardner or any other Motley Fool analyst is involved in our investment decision-making or daily operations. Uh, Also, do not take anything I say as personalized investment or tax advice. I'm not trying to recommend that you buy, sell, or hold anything or follow any specific investment strategy or financial plan. Uh, As always, we encourage you to seek personalized advice from qualified professionals regarding all personal finance and tax decisions. Back to you, Robert.
1: All right. So Tiffany, let's start with your personal story. So we're currently in the third recession of this century, mm-hmm. but I'm guessing that you're doing just fine, uh, partially <laughs> at least because of the lessons you learned during the last recession. So tell us a little bit about your history, what the last recession was like for you and what has happened since then.
2: No, certainly. I um, The last recession caught me off guard. I was not prepared. (laughs) Um, I, because quite honestly, I was a school teacher and, you know, I was pretty confident. I'm like, "Mm, I don't know that school teachers lose their jobs because, you know, we are essential workers and now yet here we are back again. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I was a school teacher and I didn't lose my job actually in 2008 when so many of my friends did, but I left, I lost it at the tail end of 2009. So it really took me by surprise, but up until up until like I would say 25, 26, I was what I call financially perfect. I grew up in a household, money was talked about. I wasn't scared of talking about finances. My father was a CFO of a small nonprofit. He also had his MBA in economics and his um, his BA in finance. My mom was a nurse, and we literally used to have money meetings. So, you know, I didn't grow up with the angst that most people did. So by the time I was 25, even though I was teaching uh, preschool and wasn't making much. I think I was making like $40,000 a year. Um, by the time I was 25, I had $40,000 saved. I bought a condo. I um, I had an 802, I think, credit score. I didn't have wow. any uh, credit card debt. Um, I paid off, like my parents helped with my undergrad degree. Plus I I commuted. So my what I did have in student loans, I was able to pay that off a few years after school. So financially perfect. Like, oh, okay. So I honestly couldn't relate. Although I was helping my friends with their budgets and savings and things like that, I couldn't relate to the mistakes because I had not yet made them, but I was going to. Um, <laughs> then um, when I was 26, I went on to get my master's in education. And I was like, okay, so you now you I went from no debt to I had a mortgage, not so bad. I had a, a, a you know, um, student loans because of my master's, not so bad. But then by 26, I said, okay, now I'm ready to learn to invest. And instead of asking my father, who has literally two degrees and years of experience, I'm going to ask a friend of mine. <laughs> and so I asked a friend of mine who appeared to be independently wealthy because he had like a really nice car and and like a like a, a fancy apartment. Um, he was like, well, first things first, you have to learn to invest with other people's money. I didn't realize he meant my money. So what he postured it as is that do you have a credit card? I said, yes, but I paid off in full every month because as instructed by my father. And he was like, well, did you know you could pull money off a credit card? I did not know that. So he said, not only can you pull it off one, you could pull it off two. I was like, double the mistake. Let's do it. So I pulled off $20,000 off of my credit cards and I went to invest with him. Let's just say that didn't happen. I ended up $35,000 in credit card debt when I didn't have credit card debt prior. Um, And I just remember thinking um, the first year I said, I didn't want to take responsibility for the mistake that I'd made. I did not tell my dad or my my mom, Um, but I paid just the minimum because I said, you know what, he's going to come back or he's going to take care of this because it's not my fault. Um, And so from age 27, I didn't do anything Well, 27, I I took out the money. 28, I just paid the minimum. Finally, at 29, I said, all right, I'm going to pay off this debt. I'm just going to buckle down. I live pretty frugally anyway. And then 29 is when I lost my job. So now it's like I've got a mortgage, student loan, credit card debt. And I was like, okay, I don't know what to do. I've never been in this situation. Um, So I fell into this like dark hole of like spiral, like, ah, because I'm 29 going on 30. I've lost everything as far as I can tell, as far as financially. So I ended up moving back home with my parents without telling them why. They knew it was the recession, obviously. And they also knew I lost my job, but they didn't know about the credit card debt. Um, so I lived with them for a year. Then I um, I lived with my sister on her couch for a year while I tried to figure out my life. Because back then, now we're getting the $600 a week um, in our stimulus as a stimulus check. But what was happening then is they just extended unemployment. Typically you can get unemployment for like up to a year. They extended it to two years. So I said, okay, you have two years to figure out what are you going to do with your life? I was afraid to go back to work for someone because I thought if you can lose a job as a preschool teacher essential, then that's not safe. What could be safe? So I tried a bunch of different things. I t- tried on um, party promoting party planning I volunteered everywhere I can think of, but while doing so, I was helping my friends budget, save, get out of debt, all these things. And one day my friend said, you should turn that into a business. And I'm like, can you? Now, I had gone to school, my, my bachelor's degree is in business, but I hadn't used it. And so I tried to charge people one-on-one only to find the people that you're actually helping with your budget. The reason why they hire you is because they don't have any money. <laughs> so yep. that was a bad yep. business model. <laughs> <laughs> so I switched my business model to one to few and I worked on getting contracts and I got my first contract with the United Way. And I remember I was excited because they were going to pay me, I think like um, three or $400 a class. And I had a six week course that I'd written um, for them. And so I did. And that was like my first, okay, maybe I can really make a run at this. Um, my little sister gave me the nickname, the budgetista, So that became, cause she said like, I'm not like the fashionista who is really fashionable, but I am very cheap, so I should be the budgetista. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what you get with little sisters. And so I said that'll be the name that I'll that you know that I'll use. And so I started working with the United Way, and then before I knew it, colleges would reach out, churches would reach out, and I thought, oh, I can also speak. And so along the way, I just started to create additional um, streams of revenue that I could add to my, my, my business model. And it was really always one of service because I love teaching. I love um, serving. Um, but I wanted to always be in alignment with that. So it, that grew. And so one day I started about five, four or five years ago, I started my own online school to not for only to me te- for me to teach financial education, but to showcase my friends that also taught financial education. And it just really took off. And um, yeah, we had our first seven figure month this April, um, and wow. now our income mm-hmm. is is just over eight hundred and something thousand dollars a month. So we're officially just squeaking by of a of a eight figure a year company. So it's been crazy from last recession, out of work preschool teacher. This recession, you know, I don't know. I mean, my net worth is seven figure, but seven figure business owner woman. So it's been a wild and crazy ride. That's really impressive. Really Thank impressive.
3: Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think one part of your uh, story that I just honed in on was how you said you were financially perfect mm-hmm. for such a long period of time. Um, and sometimes when I talk to clients, I run into folks like that, that you know things have worked out for them for a long period, and then they might hit a speed bump and not be prepared to react to it because they've never had to you know, face that sort of financial adversity before. Yes. So I'm curious in your timeline, you know, how long was that gap between, you know, facing some of these challenges, kind of getting knocked down um, to um, sort of gathering yourself up and saying, okay, I can go on offense again.
2: So it took about two years because it w- it was so devastating. And for the first year and a half, I thought I was the only one um, it wasn't until like I'd been avoiding my friends because I didn't want to admit oh, I'm 29, moving back home, so I wasn't going out, I wasn't picking up the phone, and it wasn't until like my best friend Linda kind of like broke through, and you know she's like, what's going on? And I shared like, oh, all these things, I lost my job, credit card debt, blah blah. She's like, so like regular life, and I was like, what? She's like, uh, Tiffany, you were the only one in our twenties who wasn't broke or like, who didn't have a totally messed up financial life. I was like, I was She's like, yeah, you sound like everybody else. She's like, oh, you don't have a job. Oh, it's the recession. Oh, you have credit card debt. <laughs> Literally, we all have credit card debt. You got student loans? Um, yeah, all of our college friends. And so it gave me like this, like, oh, I'm not some terrible person, which is what I was telling myself because I made financial mistakes. I was just a person. That made financial mistakes and it gave me the permission I needed to forgive myself um, because I had not. And so that's when once I was able to do that, I realized that when things like that happened, I had to go back to the basics, which were living under your means, you know, being frugal, budgeting, creating a savings plan, paying down your debt, managing your credit. So those were the basics. I had to go back to like literally what I'd learned, you know, at home. And from there build. And so that helped to crack, you know, to crack open this, the shame that I was feeling. And it gave me the permission, like I said, I, that I needed to forgive myself. So it was about almost two years. Um, But still there was another two years worth of struggle. So 29, I I lost my job and everything else. And I really didn't start to feel like I was, my head was above water until I want to say 32, you know, so it wasn't a quick Turnaround, you know, it certainly was hard. um, But something in me realized that, you know, that there's light on the other side if I keep going. I knew I didn't want to stay where I was, but I knew I just had to keep going. Something had to change. You
1: talked about the basics, and I assume because you're the (laughs) budgetista, budget is sort of the foundation of it. I think most people understand why you should budget. Um, but they're not maybe sure where to start or they have started and they can't stick with it. So what do you recommend people do in terms of setting up a budget and making sure you find some way to stay on
2: top of it? No, absolutely. Because I know budget sounds so boring. Everybody wants to invest, invest, invest. And I'm like, yeah, that it is the foundation that you're needing to be able to invest. I'm not budgeting for budgeting's sake. I'm budgeting to create space so I can grow wealth. And so um, my husband is like, so I'm like spreadsheet girl. And I know, but that's because I enjoy that. (laughs) I get that from my dad. He had like the the big legal paper when we did our family's budget. My my husband, he's not doing all that. I've tried. Um, So instead we've made it super simple and we've had his paycheck split before he gets it. So I'm like, split it before you get it. And so directly from HR, we've already determined two checking, two savings. Some of his money goes into our bills account. So having a separate checking account to pay bills, some of his money goes into his personal savings account. He and I both have personal savings accounts. So when we spend money, we know it's not coming from the family pot. Some of his money goes into um, a emergency account. Uh, we pretty much fully funded that. So now he's just contributing to um, our stepdaughter's um, uh, college fund. And then some goes to our long-term um, savings account. And so that now we, before like we purchased the house and we're living in now, we were able to purchase his house cash a couple of years ago. Um, so now we're at a point now where we're fully, emergency fund is fully funded. So any excess money now goes to just our investment strategy and our investment plan with our investment um, plan, our um financial planner. So, you know, but that's the split that if you are not good at budgeting and you don't want to do the spreadsheets and you don't enjoy that, then I just encourage you to have your two checking, your two savings, bills, spending, emergency, long-term, long-term savings. And once you get to a place where you feel fairly comfortable with your emergency fund, maybe three months, ideally six months, then I spill over into diverting that money to some sort of investment plan, whether it's you're going to save to purchase a rental property, you know, or investment property, maybe you might start a business, you know, because that the only way to invest is not just in the market. Um, I know I wasn't very comfortable in the market. So for me, I was like, but my business, I feel really comfortable and, and it's paid off. Like, I remember um, I read this book, Delivering Happiness by Tony, Tony Hirsch. He's the um, founder of Zappos. And you know, um, Amazon has now since bought Zappos, um, but still this man is a billionaire. And he was like, I remember he gave me permission not to feel comfortable um, investing in the market because he didn't. He was like, well, mm, I think I'll invest and grow a billion dollar business instead. I'm like, that sounds like a plan. <laughs> so <laughs> that's where I started with business, then real estate, because my husband and I also have a, a second property that we purchased. And now I'm like, okay. I mean, for my retirement account, yes, but in the market, but not myself um, personally, because it just wasn't someplace I felt super comfortable. Um, But yeah, exploring different ways to invest. But splitting your money like that will give you the basic budget that you need in order to move forward at the very least. Like I said, I like to get granular, but you don't have to be to be successful with your budget.
1: One key of that very quickly is that you and your husband each have your own accounts and you can spend it however you want.
2: Yes, That way They're, you're not all
1: over each other spending and saying, like, yes. well, how did you spend this? Because you've already funded your goals. So whatever yes. you do with that other money is totally up
2: to you. Exactly. And it's just allowed because a lot of couples ask me, like, what should we do? And, you know, I used to be a budget bully, quote unquote, for my husband. I'm like, whatever. So <laughs> I realized, like, you have to allow adults autonomy, you know? So we have like, well, are the bills paid? Yes. We both contribute to the bills account. Are savings saved, yes. We both have contributed to the savings account. Are investments being made, yes. So this money that gets put into his account and the money that gets put into my you know, um, checking account, we can do whatever we want. If he might save it up and get something big or whatever, but I know that when I see something new, although the urge is to be like, how much does that cost, would you get it? He looks at me and I look at him he's like, I'm like, those are cute sneakers. <laughs> but I know that it didn't come from our, our plans together. And so it's just made life so much easier.
3: In terms of budgeting, you really build on that with your program and the live richer challenge. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear more about, you know, just how you started that. I know you um, mentioned starting doing classes and doing more one to one to few, one to many kind of instruction. Uh, But I remember um, hearing about the Live Richer Challenge, kind of when it first started gaining momentum, and it was, you know, a Facebook group where you were helping women go through this, you know, six-week kind of budget transformation.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so I'm just curious how that got started and how it gained momentum.
2: No, absolutely. To me, it was a pivotal moment in business. Um, so it allowed me to grow the community. So uh, I would say Beyonce has the beehive, and the budget needs to the dream catchers. That's the name of our community. And, um, So in 2014, I was still working for the United Way, still teaching those classes, but now I was also marketing my United Way classes because they were like, you know, I wanted to make sure I could fill them so they would continue to pay me. So I learned to market using social media. And um, then what happened was kind of strange. It wasn't just people who lived locally that started to ask me about attending class. All of a sudden people in other states, women in Florida, in Ohio, you know, in California. And I was just like, well, I don't teach there. And I thought, well, why don't I teach there? What if I took this series I wrote for the United Way and and took it online? And so I did. And I called it the Live Richer Challenge. And it was six weeks in person, but I, I made the first Live Richer Challenge five weeks online. And I told myself, I gave myself this arbitrary goal. I said, I want 10,000 women to sign up. And so it took a full year now we can do this in like two hours, but it took a full year to convince 10,000 women to sign up for this free literature challenge, because it seemed like free. Why are you giving it away for free? So people were very skeptical. Then in uh, January, 2015, we launched the literature challenge with just over 10,000 women that signed up and it's a daily course. So the way the, the classes work is that every week I would create a theme. So for the fundamentals edition of the literature challenge, the very first one, Month one, week one was mindset, week two, budgeting and savings, week three, credit and, and debt, week four, um, insurance, um, and week five, basic investing. And, and that's the way it went. So every day was tied to the theme for the week. And so it would be a daily task. So I literally preschool teachered you through the task. This is exactly how you create like your your budget. I did everything but come through the computer and take your pencil and write it for you. So because people assume that just because someone is smart, they know how. I know so many attorneys, nurses, doctors, engineers who are like, yeah, yeah, I know how to budget. I don't know how to budget. (laughs) Or like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know how to, I know all about credit. They know nothing. And so I assumed that you didn't know how to do anything except for read, write, add, subtract. And so I I created it and 10,000 women went through it. I created a Facebook group. Facebook groups had just come out. And so it was a place that we all kind of congregated to talk about the task that day. By the end of that first iteration of the literature challenge, women were like, oh, can you do it again? My mom missed it. My sister missed it. My cousin, my whoever, you know, and I thought, you know what, I'll automate it. And so I did. And very quickly, the next month, 20,000 women had signed up. And I was like, wow, okay. So the first literature challenge lived on throughout the year and people would just sign up and tell their friends to sign up. Then the next year they said, "Can we do it again?" So I started to create more specified editions. I did the savings edition, the credit edition, the net worth edition, the home buying edition, and um, it went from ten thousand women, and now well over nine hundred thousand women have signed up for one or more of the literature challenges in the last what five years, and it has just built has built this amazing community that has allowed me to create these other businesses. So although the challenges are still free. It has allowed me to create this community, to create a platform where people have just come to trust and love the Budget Nista brand through those challenges. And then they're introduced to other things that I do.
3: Yeah, I in preparation for speaking with you today, I did join your Facebook group, so I'm an official dream catcher. I'm okay. proud to say, <laughs> yes. Um, and I noticed that um, you know now it seems like you've modified the the weeks a little bit. So there is a week that's focused on kind of the increase side of the equation, that earning more negotiating Mm -hmm. your pay, working on side hustles. Um, And I know you recently um, spoke out on Twitter about being offered less to speak at a conference, Mm -hmm. um, less than other white women, less than um, other men that were asked to speak. Significantly less. And yeah, it it was jarring. And um, I think so many women don't know where to start when it comes to figuring out if they are earning a fair wage, especially you know in the world of speaking that you're doing, a lot of those agreements are um, considered confidential or non-disclosure. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, how how you went about finding that out and how you coach other women who might be in a similar situation.
2: So the truth is that when it comes to your speaking agreement, hardly I don't know that I've ever ever signed an NDA. For my speaking um agreement that's not honestly typical that what i found instead is that people just don't talk about it not because they can't but because people don't feel comfortable sharing numbers i don't mind sharing numbers and so um i what i did was i knew that because i already heard the whispers of what people for this conference made you know like on the low end maybe like 15 000 on the high end fifty thousand. 000. so i kind of i already kind of knew that so when the offer was made to me at twenty five hundred I remember thinking, not Tiffany 10 years ago, but me now, 2500 is like what the local church would do as like a, they call it like a love offering. Like, we know we can't afford what you'd you know, normally get, but you know, we took an offering and we just thank you for your service. I mean, 2500 I was like, I remember thinking, are they going to ask me to sweep the floors after this? Because it was egregious when I'd known that they paid just someone two years ago. Um, A white man. They paid him fifty thousand, and he said it on the stage. And I just remember thinking, okay, so my my keynote speaking fee currently is thirty thousand dollars, and I command that I've gotten that um, because I've just been ten years in this and I've grown such a successful business. And quite honestly, what do I need twenty five hundred dollars for? When if we had a twenty five hundred dollar day, that would be a bad day in business, you know. Um, And so yeah, I you know of course I declined, but. But first, I reached out to other, especially women. I wanted to know the ones that had spoken and had done keynotes at this conference. um, What were they offered? Um, And that's when, and and like I said, there was no NDA because I know when my offer came in, you know, that that was not a requirement. And so I got a gauge of, oh, so I didn't ask publicly. I just pinged them. Hey, I saw you spoke. Um, You know, can you share with me if you feel comfortable? Because I was offered um this so i always when i'm teaching financial education what i found that helps to make people feel comfortable is to offer up first hey i was offered 2500 just wanted to know if that was normal or not if you don't feel comfortable that's fine i just wanted to ask no 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 i don't mind you know i was offered 3500 hmm interesting i was offered a starbucks gift card literally i was wow. like wow. wow you know oh no I, I personally know um, the gentleman who spoke. He got 15, he got 10, he got 30. I'm like, wow. So it was beyond egregious. Um, and quite honestly, I mean, more than insulting because, you know, I, the person who asked me to speak at this conference, he's well aware of the success of my business. What, what the thought was that the, the privilege was mine to speak at his conference. But the truth is that's just not true. There is a mutually beneficial relationship here that, you know, that I would bring to the table. And I'd spoken at this conference before and have gotten the only two standing ovations in that conference history. So it wasn't like he was like, huh, is Tiffany gonna do well? It's like we can go back to when she spoke here before. Um, so it wasn't a keynote, but still, like, you know, so yeah, unfortunately, there are moments when. You take less because you need to feed yourself and your family. And I've certainly done that early on in my career. But one thing I've learned from home is that you have to maintain for yourself an expectation of excellence. So I came from the type of home where if I got a 96, my dad would say, What happened to the other four points? Like literally verbatim. And I'm like, What? But it's a 96. And he's like, Okay, not, you know, you can do better. I know you can. Or if I got a B, he would ask me, Did anyone, in my class get an A. And if I said yes, he would ask me, I remember I was a kid, I didn't understand, he would ask me, did Sarah, who got an A, does she have two heads? And I'm like, I don't, my dad is Nigerian, just to be honest, right? And I'm like, I don't understand. Your My mom was like, he wants to know if she has two brains instead of one, and maybe that's why she got an A and you got a B. I'm like, so in other words, do better. <laughs> like, what's so special about Sarah? Because in his in his estimation, Tiffany, you're smart you can do it. And so I've always taken this expectation of excellence for myself internally. And so what I realize is that when I show up the best that I know how, and over time your reputation precedes you, and I'm able to command what I deserve. Um, and when I can't command what I deserve, then I decline and I make it myself. So the literature challenge, I reached out to all these brands to work with me to do the the initial literature challenge. They all declined because quite honestly, most of my, I mean, this is from a brand themselves, a, a woman who worked for the brand pulled me to the side and said, it's because most of the women that you're serving are black women. And the thought is in this financial space, there's no money in serving black women. And I remember I was so mad, but I'm actually really happy that happened because then the literature challenge would not be mine. I would not be here. This audience of a million plus women worldwide are a product of the budget nista, and I can speak directly to that audience and share my products and services with them. So imagine if a brand had attached themselves. Now, those very same brands that did not want to work with me then, I mean, every day, I feel like every hour of every day, just today, three banks alone, I typically don't work with, I'm not even typically, I've never worked with a big bank because most of them just not in alignment with what I'm trying to do. Um, So it's funny how everything comes full circle. When you raise to the level of excellence, you force people to treat you differently or they lose out, you know? So I can literally, I I work with very few brands on purpose so I can align myself with what I believe to be my integrity, which is um, I only share things that are gonna be good for my audience. And um, I can I can do that because there's nobody who I have to answer to but myself. But everyone can't do that. I could not do that when I first started, but over time, I created an environment for myself where I can. And so that's what I encourage is that ask questions, you know, reach out to other um, people that you feel like you can safely ask, you know, what they made, you know, too many times are what we make is a secret. And then two, hold yourself to a standard of excellence and either it will force someone's hand or will force you to create a way for yourself internally where you don't have to ask for anything. Instead, they will come and ask you.
1: Let me just say, I'm not surprised at all that you got standing ovations because I I wanna recommend everyone to go to YouTube, find you on YouTube. If you wanna get your personal finance advice with some singing, with some dancing, (laughs) ton of personality, (laughs) Tiffany is the person to look for. So anyways, I just want to make sure everyone's aware of that.
2: Well, thank you. (laughs) That's the preschool teacher in me. I mean, to me, that was the best job to prepare me to do what I do now. That, like, you know, because money can be pretty scary and boring. And I'm like, why? Why can't we sing? And you know, and make it interesting and engaging. So thank you. It's definitely interesting. engaging. It's, it's,
1: it's outstanding. Um, so, but to bring us to education here, by the way, I used to be a teacher and I also have a master's in education. So we have that okay. in common, awesome. um, but you had a role in passing legislation in New Jersey that mandates financial education for middle middle schoolers. So mm-hmm. tell us about the genesis of the
2: Bajanista law
1: in New yes. Jersey.
2: So my um, A friend of mine, Angela V. McKnight, she's an assemblywoman, and I actually met her through teaching at the United Way. She was one of my students. Um, so she did a lot of volunteer work in Jersey City, in New Jersey, where she's from, and someone suggested that she should run and be an assemblywoman because she just did such good work. So she did, and she won, and she came to me and said, I really want my first year to be focused on education. And she knew I'd been a teacher. She knew I had my master's in education, and I said, I agree. And she said you know i'm thinking about something for financial education i said well new jersey's really at the forefront of this we already have a long place for high school but when i taught preschool i was teaching age-appropriate financial education to kids and i think that really there should be as soon as you step into the public school system in new jersey you should start getting financial education age-appropriate financial education that's how i grew up and the reason why i'm here now and she said okay so we met at a at a Starbucks in Newark, at New Jersey where I live. And we started to craft out language for a Bill. Then we met with some um people who would be affected by the Bill. So other principals, other teachers, and really started to craft what should it be like. Of course, Angela has her staff that had to do all the like, other stuff that has to happen when it comes to writing a bill. But Angela wanted to understand, like, from an educator's perspective, what would it look like played out in the classroom? Because so many times, if you remember being a teacher, they would have some new mandate, and you're like, who made this up? This is not going to be good for the kids. And so I really listened to the pushback, and I'm like, oh, that's right. I remember being annoyed by that. So instead of the bill saying, hey, we're going to stop and have financial literacy time, let's talk about that financial literacy should be integrated into the day. Meaning if you're going to do art, how about today you do a savings box where the kids decorate a shoebox and you talk about savings with art. And if you're going to do reading time, so how about the book that you choose this week is going to be a book that teaches like, you know, how to count or how to count money or whatever, how to save. And so um that was really great so we 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 took the she took them the law so it has to go to committee through the education committee since it was an education law, then the house voted on it. Um, Then the Senate um, in New Jersey had to vote on it. So the first iteration, it got all the way to the governor's desk. He promised he would sign it. He did not. He was on his way out. So in New Jersey, um, if if a bill isn't signed, it's basically vetoed by just basically being ignored. So we had to go back. So it took two years to get there. So we were like really discouraged, but we went back And you have to go through the whole process of reintroducing the bill again, which we did. So again, committee, House, Senate, um, but this time it was pushed back. And they said, instead of elementary and middle school, let's take off the elementary component and just have middle school. And at this point I was like, fine, whatever. We'll go get elementary later. And so we did, it went to the current governor's desk. And not only did he say, this is awesome, but he allowed us to have a law signing day, which does not happen because hundreds of laws are passed. Where, so this way, we, we chose, a, Angela chose a middle school um, in New Jersey, and the kids got to see in real life time um, a law, a bill being signed into law. Um, and it was really a magical time, especially looking back at it now. It was signed in um, January 2019. And what was magical about it, especially now with so much civil unrest, is that Angela is a Black woman, the governor, Phil Murphy, Murphy, who couldn't be there sent instead his deputy um, um, governor, Um, she's the first African-American woman, deputy governor, Sheila Oliver, and then myself. And the school was the Barack Obama middle school. And so you have all these black and brown, beautiful children watching on stage as three black women helped to create a bill and turn it into a law right in front of their eyes. And I remember when she signed it, my mom was there, my friends were there. And it just was a magical moment of like, what's possible, um, especially when, to a community that's told that so much is not possible. Um, So it was just an awesome time. And I didn't think about it because honestly, I'm somebody who plows through. So I do a thing, I do a thing. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't until my neighbor around the corner, she has a daughter, Olivia, who's in middle school. And I was hanging out in her house and she said, Miss Tiffany, can you help me with my homework? And I said, sure. So helping her with homework. And it was like something about money. I'm like, you're learning about money in school. Oh my God, my love. (laughs) And <laughs> like hit me like olivia is like living my law so i was just like do you know what i wrote a law she was like okay so how do you do some work <laughs> so she didn't care that much but it was amazing because what was so great about it is that the law um very quickly they put it into action so you know there are middle schoolers now who are learning about financial education in school and what i didn't know too is that a friend of mine he um uh, i didn't write the curriculum um for, for because schools could choose whatever curriculum they wanted. And honestly, I was at capacity. I don't have time. Um, but um, because of that, they were able to employ educators who did write curriculum. And so a friend of mine was telling me, you know, you got my friend a job. And I was like, how? He was like, you know, New Jersey was looking for people to write financial curriculum for middle school students. And he was one of the people that they chose. So there's just a ripple effect when you show up, you know, that there. <laughs> You have to bring your best. There is somebody who needs you to show up. And I just wish more of us realize just how amazing whatever it is that, that's inside you to unlock that so the world can be better. And, you know, to me, it's more than money, honestly. It's to me, this is really a movement. And money is merely one of the tools that I use to make the world better. But yeah, it's just like, I just wish more people understood that you There's something in all of us that if we unlock the world would just be a better place. And yeah, so to me, there's nothing better than teachers. So, Robert, you're my fave. Megan, I love you too, but you know. (laughs) I can
3: only do so much.
1: (laughs) It's really impressive. You deserve so much credit for that. Um, And I know we are kept you a little longer than already than we scheduled. Uh, Megan, did you have one last question you wanted to ask?
3: I did. Uh, One of my favorite things that you talk about is Wanda. Uh, And so I was just um, hoping you could wrap up a little bit with um, what Wanda does uh, in your life.
2: Absolutely. So I read the study once that said the reason why people don't save for retirement is there's a disconnect. They literally cannot visualize themselves as an older person. And so I remember, like I saw that you could, there there was this um, simulation that these financial companies were going to come up with. So you can like put your picture in and see yourself as you're older. And I just remember thinking like, I would always kind of play with my friends that when I'm old, that my, uh, my old lady name would be Wanda. And so I thought, huh, you know, that I would do that with my friends, but what if I made this a financial tool? And so I always tell some people, I always tell folks, you know, think about your 80 year old self. Think about like you know what you'd wear, how you sound. For some reason, my Wanda is like a little bit on the mean side. She loves taking like the balls that the kids throw in the yard, and she's like, "It's mine now," you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just imagine Wanda with all the sass, right? And um, so she's my eighty-year-old self. And when I'm making financial choices now, you know, I'm I'm able to disassociate myself and think to myself, "What would Wanda say?" I get to see Wanda like, "Oh." Also another vacation. Interesting. Also another day of just, you know, frozen food because you don't want to save for our future. And I'm like, okay, Wanda, I will save more. (laughs) I will be more responsible. So it's just a fun game that I encourage people to play. Like, what would Wanda say? What is your old person name? You know, what is your 80-year-old self's name? Because it is truly your younger self's job to look after your older self. And if you kept that in mind, you would just... Manipulate and move with your money differently,
1: Tiffany. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people go to learn more about you, all your educational
2: offerings, and the Live Richer Challenge? Sure. So you can find me. I am the Budgetista on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. I'm even on TikTok, but I don't TikTok because my stepdaughter refuses to teach me. Um, <laughs> but if you're wanting to join the one of the Free Live Richer Challenges, you can go to Live richardchallenge.com. And just anything, all things Budgetnista, you can go to thebudgetnista.com.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. This has really been a pleasure. Hopefully we'll stay in touch. Uh, The Motley Fool is actually trying to explore some options for financial literacy. So maybe we have some room for collaboration in the future. I would love that.
0: Well, that's the show. It's edited frugally by Rick Engdahl. Our email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Alison Southwick. Stay Foolish, everybody.